0: Well, I'm glad that you're here today and glad that we can spend some time together. To teachers, I always want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this. And for those of you who, for whatever reason, were not able to be in Sunday school, excuse my voice, I'm glad that uh, you're able to catch up and be with the rest of the church. It's a joy to be able to talk about these things and to be able to... um, Think about them, because not only should we know them, but we're supposed to meditate on these things so that they control our our lives. And in controlling our lives, then it does what we are actually going to be talking about today. It brings glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about how much that goes on in this world does not bring glory and honor to his name. Think about how many times his name has been used in vain, as the commandment says, just this very day. Think about how many times his name has been used uh, to curse something, how many times his name has been used just as a, a byword, just a thoughtless word, the God that created us, the God that gives us breath, the God that gives us life, the God that gives us joy and happiness, as well as the God who sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins, to think that we would just use his name in a thoughtless, vain, empty way is amazing. What we ought to be doing, of course, is glorifying the Lord. The old Westminster Catechism is the one that probably most of us are familiar with, where the question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, this is a little bit different, but the theme is the same, and we're going to be looking at it from a little bit more of a practical standpoint. The question we're asking is how? How can we glorify God? And the answer in the New City Catechism is, we glorify God by enjoying Him. I'd like for you to think about that just for a few seconds. Not long, but how long, or how many times do any of us come to church, have our quiet time, or anything like that, and think about enjoying God? But that's what they want us to do by enjoying him here's the second thing by loving him we kind of get that don't we by trusting him that makes sense and by obeying his commands and law deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 1 says therefore and that means everything else that's been said before in deuteronomy is leading up to this You shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. You shall love him and then keep everything that he said. We have become so um, used to talking about God's love, God's mercy. In God's grace, but I think sometimes we get to the point to where you know the old saying is familiarity brings contempt, and I think sometimes when we talk about God in those kind of terms and we don't balance it out, He's also a God of wrath. He's also a God of judgment. He's also a God who has very strict standards. If you ever read through. Um, Oh, the book of Leviticus or something like that. One of the things that you will come out of that with is God is not just this God that says, close enough, don't worry about it. Very picky, very meticulous. The law that God gives goes down to the smallest of details. Say, why would he do that? Well, the law, of course, is designed so that it might reveal our sinfulness, our inability to do what God commands. And so God puts it in such a way that um, nobody can actually come before him or anyone else and say, I've kept the law. All you have to do is observe their life, and you're going to find something somewhere that violates the law of God this is what Paul struggled with. When you read in Philippians chapter 2, I think it is, maybe 3, he talks about his past life, and he says that in his life as a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the top dog, I guess you would say. Very well educated, very well disciplined, and uh, intent on being perfect, intent on keeping the law of God. In fact, he even makes a statement in there that's a little bit shocking. He says, and concerning the law, blameless. Now, was he talking about being blameless before God? No, he was talking about what the other Pharisees might have said. He's talking about what the common people might have said. He sure looked like he was doing everything right. But in Romans chapter 7, that famous, Oh, wretched man that I am, the wretched man in there is Paul. And Paul is talking about his life even before salvation, when he was doing his very best as a Pharisee, when everyone else would say he was blameless, Paul is saying, he was a wretched man. He couldn't do the things that he wanted to do, and the things that he didn't want to do, that's what he ended up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me? So Paul understood that that statement concerning the law blameless that he made in Philippians is not meaning that he was perfect before God. It meant that people would have ascribed him as being one of the very best and blameless concerning the law what brought paul to the understanding of righteousness and of grace and his inability it was just one commandment one commandment paul was not an adulterer paul was not a guy who skipped out on synagogue worship paul was not a guy who ate whatever he wanted and you know enjoyed his ham sandwich and ate unclean food or anything like that. He wasn't a thief, but he did covet. And that 10th commandment was the one that kind of brought him to the point where Paul is in essence saying, I didn't commit adultery, but it doesn't mean I didn't want to. I didn't really hate that person or murder that person, but it doesn't mean that I didn't really want to those evil desires of thou shalt not covet were the things that kind of tackled Paul from behind. And you and I have those things in our lives as well. No matter how well we think we do in a general sense, when you get down to specifically keeping what God said and doing all of it and doing it all the time, well, we end up in trouble, don't we? And I think we all kind of instinctively know that. Then when you plug in these verses we just read, whenever we do keep the commandments of God, do we do it because we love him with everything we have? Or do we do it simply because we don't want to get caught, we don't want to look bad, or maybe we don't want the consequences? There's always kind of an ulterior motive. And so hopefully, You see, by some of those things, all of us sin, as the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. There's the definition of sin, failing to glorify God. Well, we kind of need to know how to love him, uh, or how to do this, and how to do it, as uh, it says here in Deuteronomy, to do it out of the right motive, to do it out of love. The Catechism says... Our chief purpose for living is to glorify God. In fact, sin is defined as falling short of the glory of God. And in Romans 3.23, giving glory to God is supposed to be everything we do is supposed to be our lifestyle. So we glorify God by enjoying him. Have we failed to do that? By loving him, have we failed to do that? By trusting him, how many times do we fail in that area? And by obeying his will, his commands, and his law. Now, number one, we glorify God by the way we live. It's not just about going to church, and it's not just about the things that we don't do. There's a positive as, uh, aspect of all of this. How do we glorify God? Do we portray that in our attitude? Do we portray that in our motive? Do we portray that in everything that we do? Are we enthusiastic? Are we excited about the Lord? Are we enjoying Him, as we said? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. The apostle says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, uh there are times in the Bible where it talks about the way that we live and the things that we do are supposed to be done in a way to get the attention of, in this case, Gentiles, or let's just say what they are meaning, lost people, so that when they pay attention to us, maybe they're a little bit shocked by what we do. Maybe they're a little surprised by what we do. But the idea is, and Jesus said this, that they may observe our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Now, there's a fine line, I suppose, between doing that for the right motive so that God is glorified, as opposed to the wrong motive where all we do is try to make ourselves look good. The world being depraved, and we understand that because we partake of that depravity, don't we? The world can find every way it can to twist even what we do for the glory of God, to twist it around and uh, to make it what it's not supposed to be. I uh, heard about a columnist for a major newspaper that lives next door to, uh, this is a political thing actually, they live next door to a a Trump supporter and wherever they live, I think it is in Colorado or something, uh, it snowed a lot, And this Trump supporter came to this liberal columnist and shoveled the sidewalk and the driveway. And you know what it did? It made the liberal angry. In fact, they wrote a whole column about it in a major newspaper. Why would this person do this? What kind of a manipulator are they? Are they trying to do this to make me obligated to them? I mean, all kinds of things that were going on. And I thought, you know, there might be a chance, maybe a slim chance, that that person who shoveled the sidewalk and driveway was simply a Christian who wanted to love their neighbor and do a kind deed. And they would expect, as you and I would, that they would be thanked. They were expecting that maybe the person might come up and say, why would you do this? And then there's a chance to witness could be any number of things but the person took it completely wrong the world that we live in being so twisted being out of shape warped and uh, wicked they can take anything and find a conspiratorial reason for it you know why did you really do this but even at that if we do it from our own heart with the right motive. It's the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, to tell them that we love them, to tell them that we want to give glory and honor to the Lord. But Peter said, that ought not be only when it snows or only when a tragedy comes up. That ought to be the way that we live. And that word um, in the New King James Version, your conduct honorable among the Gentiles honorable. Now, most of the time they can pick out enough sin, they can point out enough inconsistencies that they can write us all off as hypocrites. And this is the antidote for that. What are we doing to change their minds? What are we doing so that they have to give a second look? Because what I would say to that person who shoveled that driveway is, make sure that's not the only time you do it. Make sure that that's not just a once in a season thing. Make sure that that is consistent. And it may not always be shoveling the driveway, because it may not always snow. But what are you going to do when the weather's hot? What are you going to do next week? What are you going to do as an encore, we might say? Why would that be important? Because the way you break down people's resistance And the way you change their mind about thinking you're just doing this for show or to manipulate or something like that is to do it consistently and to do it with, you ready? No strings attached. To do it where you don't expect any praise. To do it to where you're not expecting them even to be thankful, you're just doing it because you love God and you want to glorify Him and you want your conduct to be honorable among the Gentiles, and you want them to get to the place to where they eventually have to say, there's something to this. There's something real about all of this or something genuine about their life. This is supposed to be a lifestyle event, not just something that is every once in a while, but all the time that they can see. Secondly, we glorify God by suffering For his sake. We'll stay with the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter 4, verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Moving over to John chapter 21, verse 19. This is Jesus speaking to Peter when he's restoring him on uh, the lakeshore this he meaning jesus spoke signifying by what death he peter small h there would glorify god and when he had spoken this he said to him follow me now jesus said to peter right now you do anything you want to do but there's coming a time when they're going to stretch forth your hands. And that was a Jewish term for crucifixion. He was speaking to Peter about what kind of death that Peter would die and notice to the glory of God. So with Peter being the main subject of two verses here, Peter writing one of them, He says that we are to suffer if it is the will of God and we're to glorify God even as we suffer. And he's meaning there not just arthritis or your car won't start. He's talking about persecution, persecution for the cause of Christ. And we are to glorify God in that matter. In fact, Peter had been told that he would die a horrible death by crucifixion and he would die for the glory of God. You see, there's something about suffering that gets people's attention. People don't always want to look at an accident, but they can't help it, can they? And when we suffer, we're the accident. There's a lot of Christianity that is portrayed as saying something like this, if you'll obey God and have enough faith, you'll never be sick, you'll never suffer, and you'll always be wealthy. Well, there are a lot of people who say, I would serve God too if he would do that for me. I would uh, be faithful to a God who would do that for me. But then they look and they see people like you and people like me, people that suffer, people where things go wrong, people where They uh, sometimes are suffering because, well, somebody just doesn't like them, or suffering because of an opinion they have, suffering because of what they believe, or suffering because of a lifestyle they live. And if that is something that reflects upon Christ or for the glory of Christ, then people, well, they watch. They look and they wonder why it is that you can be consistent when you're under attack. They look and they wonder why it is that you can still be kind when the pain is excruciating. They look and they wonder why it is that you would serve a God who would allow that to happen to you. Well, sometimes the apostles would tell you suffering is the will of God. And when it is the will of God, that means God is having you suffer for a purpose. It's not just random. It's not just something that happens and nobody can do anything about it. God could take it away if he chose to. But he has you in it. And he has you in it. And maybe he's teaching you something. Maybe he is getting rid of some sin or bad attitudes or bad habits out of your life through suffering. Or maybe he's just saying, hold on, son. Hold on, daughter. You've been praying that that family member would trust Christ. I'm going to allow your suffering to get their attention so that they will glorify me and come to know me. Your suffering is going to be uh, a way in which the gospel gets to them. Now, if that were to happen, some of us would be happy. I know some people, and you know some people, who would go through that a hundred times if it would lead somebody to Jesus. I know uh, my mother well enough to know that during the time when she suffered and then died from leukemia, that if somebody got saved, she would go through that again. And maybe my brother, who had done so uh, terribly in times past, is now doing so well. I wonder if mom's suffering and death had an impact on him. And you know what? Mom would do that a thousand times for my brother Jeff, or for me, if she thought that somehow we would be better people and more useful to God. You see, This idea of suffering, if it's the will of God, Peter says, and Jesus said to Peter, even our death sometimes is for the glory of God, right? Well, all the time it is. Uh, Let me back up. Um, That is something that we need to have in our life to understand that every day, whatever we go through is an opportunity for witnessing, to encourage, to be an example and to bless somebody else as well as to have sin taken out of our lives. Number three, we can glorify God by praising him. In the Psalms, in uh, 86, Psalm 86 verse 12, it says, I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. And notice how praise and glorifying God, they're kind of linked together, aren't they? Praise and glorifying God. No wonder the devil attacks and the flesh rebels so much against praising God. We don't want to look like a fool. We don't want to look like a fanatic. We don't want to put ourselves out there. You know, it's just not me. It's just not my personality. And I've noticed that uh, some people who will say, well, preacher, I'm just not very emotional. Let their wife come down with some kind of a terminal disease. All of a sudden, they're emotional. Let their child get hit by a car. All of a sudden, they are emotional. I mean, the truth of the matter is all of us are emotional. Now, we may express it differently. Some are introverted, some are extroverted. I mean, the Lord made us. He knows all of that. But for us just to say, I don't really praise the Lord because I'm not that type of person, is actually to say we're not really saved, isn't it? That is our job, to praise the Lord. And praising the Lord and glorifying his name, the two of those things go together. And in fact, I want you to look at that last word in those verses. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name. What's that word? Forevermore. You know what that's talking about? Heaven is going to be a forevermore time of praising God, and the glory is just going to roll like waves over and over and over (laughs) pardon me, over for eternity as God's name is praised by all of the saints of God from all of the ages, every tribe, every tongue, every situation. And it is going to be a glorious thing. And we're going to experience that forevermore. And you know what? We're going to participate in it as well. You see, the command is to do this with all of our heart, isn't it? I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I haven't figured out how to do that down here yet. I hope I'm getting closer. I hope I'm getting better at all of that, but I don't think I've made it. I don't think I've made it. I think maybe there are times when I get there briefly, there are times and what is in my heart absolutely overwhelms me at the goodness and the glory of God. But it's not all the time, and it's not as often as it ought to be, and it's not for you either. One day we're going to be in heaven where we will be unrestrained in our praise. And the glory of God is not just going to be coming out of your mouth, but out of all of the billions of people that God has redeemed. And you're not gonna have any trouble praising him there. You're not gonna have any trouble feeling it there. You're not gonna have any trouble expressing it there because it is going to be so real. And I think when we get to heaven, we're gonna find out what it really is to praise him with our whole heart. But let's not quit trying while we're down here. This is what the goal ought to be. We glorify him by living for him, by suffering for him, and by praising him. And the praising him is no matter what our feelings and no matter what our situation is, we always have a reason to praise God. And let's do the fourth one. We glorify God by trusting his promises. How many promises has God given you? How many promises are in the Bible that relate to you? Now, not every promise in the Bible is yours. I've heard people say that every promise in this book is mine. Hey, there's a promise that those who sin are going to die and go to hell. I don't want that one. I don't want that one. You can have that one. Somebody else can have that one. I don't want that one. That's not my promise. But there are plenty of promises that do apply to me and to you as a believer that we ought to be claiming. We ought to know what God has promised. We ought to know what it is that He has in store for us as much as we can. I know the Bible says, I hath not seen and ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. I know that. I know that my imagination cannot stretch far enough to figure out what God has promised and how he's going to fulfill that in my life. I also know too that uh, in the six decades that I've lived, I've seen some times where life took a turn that I couldn't figure out. You ever had that happen? Why is this happening? How does this fit in with what God has called me to do? How does this fit in with what I'm supposed to be? How does this fit in with what God has said in his word? Sometimes you just need a few more decades to figure it out. There are some things that uh, I'm sure that I'm not gonna live long enough in this life to figure it out. There may be some things that in 30 years, it's gonna make sense. I'm probably not gonna be here in 30 years, right? Maybe, who knows, got relatives who have, but uh, sometimes we don't have enough time to see everything work out. What God promised Abraham didn't really work out for over 400 years when the Israeli slaves came back into the promised land. Abraham just didn't have enough runway, did he? Sometimes life is like that, and um, we try to figure things out. We try to look at things and we try to piece them together in our minds but god's bigger than that and god's plan is bigger than that and god's plan includes a whole lot more than just me and just you there's a lot of people and there's a lot of time that's involved in all of this so how do i glorify god when i can't figure it out by trusting him by trusting that what he says is true whether i understand it or not, whether I can see it or not, whether I experience it or not, just to know that God's word is true. Romans chapter 4 verse 20. This is about Abraham and this is specifically about Abraham having a son. Not a son through Hagar in natural means, <clears throat> but a son through Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were passed the time of having children and yet God had told them they were going to have a child, Isaac, the child of promise. And it says, he, meaning Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God. Do you see it? Giving glory to God at the time The promise was made, it made no earthly sense at all. Sarah laughed at it, remember? And yet Abraham believed. You know what else the Bible says about it? He believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. What was it that saved Abraham? It wasn't his sacrifices, it was his belief, it was his faith. And faith was shown by trusting the promises of God that didn't even make sense. You and I have a lot of promises, a lot of things that we have to look forward to. And sometimes they don't seem to fit in with now. They don't seem to fit in with today. They don't seem to fit in with the circumstances of the world. What do we do? Get depressed? Get angry? Let our lives just fall apart? Do we just give up on God? Do we abandon everything? Or do we trust him? And we trust him no matter what. We rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul said, and again I say rejoice. And then a fifth thing, we glorify God by confessing Christ as Lord. And I guess this is the bottom line, is he? Is he Lord of your life? He's Lord You're either in submission or rebellion to it. The Bible says in Philippians 2.11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, you could do a study sometime of all of the times the Bible mentions the glory of God and look and see. I mean, sometimes it doesn't involve us. It says the heavens declare the glory of God but there are a lot of them that are like this one. Have you confessed Jesus is Lord? You're going to, either here or there. You're either gonna do it now willingly or you're gonna do it by force at the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment of God. And when you do it before the throne of God, it's not gonna result in salvation. It's gonna result in vindication. You're going to vindicate the fact that Jesus is Lord and you've never believed it. You've never received it. You've never submitted to that. And then the Bible says, after that, you'll be cast into the like of fire forever. But if you'll do it now, you give glory to God by saying, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But there is one who came, the God-man, who died on the cross after living a perfect life, bearing the wrath of God for me. And I surrender to this one who died like a criminal on a cross, and I confess him as Lord, the master, the boss of all, including me. And the Bible says that that gives glory to God. Think about what brings out the worst in you and in other people. Sometimes it's point number one, just life is hard. People get mad, people get upset, people get out of sorts, people get depressed, people get disgusted, people get angry, people get apathetic, people quit, people sin and go their own way. We've seen those kind of things. Sometimes life just drives us away from the Lord. Be different and glorify God in the way that you live. Even if it's not always received, keep doing it among the Gentiles. Sometimes suffering brings out the worst in all of us. But this lesson is calling us to say, through the power of Christ, through the grace of Jesus, may my suffering bring out the best, and bring glory to the Lord. We need to be conscious that we praise the Lord for everything. We sure gripe easily enough. We sure complain easily enough. That comes naturally. That's why we need to set our minds on things above, where Christ is at the right hand of God the Father, and know that we can praise Him, glorify Him, and honor Him at all times in everything. And we need to understand that as we are glorifying the Lord, we need to trust Him and trust His promises, learn His promises, and hold tight to the promises of God. I may not see them. I may not even see God, but I know He's there. And I may not see His promises, but I know they're true. And I hold. On to the truth of the word. And then I confess him as Lord. Not just at salvation, but every single day of my life. Every single situation, every single circumstance. Lord, I know this seems like it's chaotic. I know it seems like it's out of control. But you have a plan. I submit to the plan because Jesus is Lord. And we tell other people about that. It's through that that we bring glory to God, which is the purpose of our life. How are you doing in that? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about everything in the world. It's about Him. Let's give glory, glory and honor to Him. Thank you. May the Lord bless you. May He receive glory through your life.